0: Thank you. My my pleasure to be with you this morning, and it's always a a pleasure to be around Doug Bookman. As you well know, he's one of the great teachers of all time in the area of the Bible, and I say that very seriously. I really appreciate his ministry over the years. This has been a really exciting year for us, as you might guess, after having lived uh, in the Midwest for half a century to have the opportunity to come out here to California, where it's always warm, a little um, not so much today. But uh, after we got through some of the transitional events, I told somebody recently that emotionally we're sort of between um, delighted and ecstatic someplace in that area. It's just been a real privilege to be a part of the ministry out here, the Master's College and Master's Seminary. It's also been kind of an emotional year for us, as you might guess, moving out of uh, Minnesota, coming over here after we've been there for so long, we had to leave all of our really good friends, and we miss very much the fellowship that we used to have with them. And also, uh, we had to leave two of our married children back in Minnesota, and one of them about to have a baby, which would be our first granddaughter or grandson. And that would be, uh, as you might guess, kind of a tough and difficult thing for a potential grandmother to leave. So we kind of emotionally left in that regard. And then we had a number of other things uh, kind of emotional happen to us. Some of them, a couple of things dealt with our pets. We had a cat that was uh, 18 years old, so that I think she would be uh, 90 years old or 100 years old in cat life. And we didn't know whether we should bring her with us or not, but we decided that she just couldn't make the trip out here and get readjusted, so we had to kill the cat. And that wasn't too hard on, on me at all because I'm not a cat lover, but uh, it's kind of hard in the rest of the family. And then we had this dog. This dog was a Sheltie, really, a really nice dog, just uh, polite. I mean, he wouldn't even come in a door without you inviting him to come in. Very, very obedient type of a dog. And uh, we decided we would take him with us. He hasn't been, hadn't been feeling very well, but we just couldn't uh, bear to leave him behind. So we brought him out, went through, drove all the way out here. He sat in our back seat as we came out here. And we were out here a week, and he died just like that. And that was tough on all of us. That was tough on me too. <laughs> so I was kind of emotional in that way. And in a, in a more serious vein... Uh, I lost both my parents in the last uh, six months i've lost my dad in july i lost my mother in september they're both older they're in the mid 80s they lived a great and wonderful life my mother had been a, uh, a become a christian when she was in high school and uh, she was a christian day school teacher for most of her life She was a, a brilliant and wonderful lady made a great impact upon our family and my dad was a carpenter he had been reared in out east of Westville, Illinois um, out by believe it these, believe it or not, these are a couple of towns, Great Creek and Hawbuck, right out in that area it 's way out in the woods and i 'm serious it 's some of the places where he used to take us. you know some of the houses we visited didn 't have electricity or anything. It was really back in the, back in the hills there of, of uh, illinois i don 't believe there are hills, but there really are some and, it was a very backward place. Uh, he, he grew up though and uh, became a carpenter and uh, always kind of thought of himself as a woods, woodsman, I think. Uh, we had this kind of routine we went through on a yearly basis. In the, in the summertime, we went fishing, and a couple, in fact, several times we went up into Canada to fish. And when fall came, we had uh, several things we did. These are like Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon events. Uh, we would uh, go gather walnuts and hickory nuts. My dad's favorite cake was the hickory nut cake. And uh, sometimes we'd gather bittersweet. You know what bittersweet is? Uh, we'd go out and find some of that. Cattails, things for the home. And uh, also we'd go squirrel hunting. There's nothing like squirrel hunting like on a morning like this morning. Back in the woods where the leaves are changing, and you just sit there and you listen for the squirrels. It's a great great place, great thing to be doing. And then as the winter went along, we did uh, uh, pheasant hunting, quail hunting, and then we did rabbit hunting. And when the spring came along, we did. Uh, we start. We looked for mushrooms in April. We we'll go pick morel mushrooms, one of the great tasty delights. And uh, someplace in there, we went and got uh sassafras. uh sassafras roots for tea, or we'd cut a little bit for just uh, eating it. But anyway, on a regular basis, we did all this. It was a. It was a fun thing. Both my mom and dad are uh, were. Consistent Christians. That is, what they were at church is what they were at home. What they were at home is what they were at church. And I think that's the main reason that they made such a great impact upon us. My mother was saved, as I said, when she was a teenager. I went with my dad maybe 25 years ago to a, a father-son banquet. And we gave kind of testimonies to each other. You know, I, I thanked the Lord for my dad. He thanked the Lord for his son. And and uh, in the midst of his testimony, he talked about how he became a Christian. And I'd never really heard his testimony in kind of a full uh, exposition, so I was delighted to hear it. But he, he, had, uh, he was living out there, you know, in the, out in the prairie by the hills there. And uh, there was a revivalist that had come through one of the little country churches out there. He was just like eight years old. And he had gone to the revival service, and he'd become a Christian. His mother had encouraged him to go, and he'd, he'd become a Christian. But he said... You know, there was, uh, there was really no way that we could grow in the Lord. After my mother became a Christian, there was really no way that she could grow in the Lord because where they lived in Westville, Illinois was basically a Roman Catholic town, and the only Protestant church in town was very liberal, no real Bible teaching, no evangelism or nothing there at all. So even though they attended, they couldn't grow at all. And my dad said, we just kind of drifted. We didn't really grow in the Lord Until a very tragic event came into our lives, he said. He said, Our first child, which would have been my older sister, died at birth. And when that happened, they began to get serious about the things of the Lord. And they began to look around for a church that would really amount to something in their lives. And they found uh, the First Baptist Church there in Danville, Illinois, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. They started to attend. Eventually, they joined. And they became Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers, and deacons and deaconesses, and all that. And when I came along, it was almost as though I was just born in the church. I mean, I just grew right up in that church. I went to daily vacation Bible times, I went to Christian camps, I went to a Christian college. I went into seminary. Same thing happened to my brother. My brother earned his doctor's degree a few years ago. He's a teacher, he's an assistant pastor, a minister of, uh, of adult education in a large church in Ohio. And my point is all of, it, of all this is this the reason I stand here today, the reason that my brother and, and I have lived for the Lord, the reason my mom and dad lived for the Lord, is from a human standpoint because of a difficulty, a trouble, a tragedy that came into their life. And the way they handled it made all the difference in the world. It turned them around. It turned us around. It was, in many ways, the most decisive event in our entire family. You know, sometimes when we become Christians, we get the idea that uh, everything's going to be really nice from now on, you know, just really rosy. That's not so, is it? I mean, God never intended that to be so. I believe the Bible teaches that trouble is one of the really good ways that God has of developing something out of our lives, of making us into something, of developing character and and backbone for the Lord. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to three passages, and we'll stay in the last one. Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5, one of the great doctrinal, theological passages in Scripture. And in the, as, after Paul just sort of gets going, he has a word to say about trouble. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope hope of the glory of God and verse number three and not only this but we also exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope tribulations worth a lot Paul says and then if you turn over to what Peter says in first Peter chapter 4 first Peter chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 Here Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Don't be surprised, but keep on rejoicing, Peter says. And then one last passage, James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1, and we'll stay here for the rest of the time we have together. James chapter 1. James introduces it. He's a bondservant of God. Verse 1, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings in verse number 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I believe that every one of these passages then gives us a a real basic truth, and that is this, the Lord brings trouble into our lives for a reason. The Lord brings trouble into our lives for a reason. And I don't know, you may not be in trouble. You know, don't have to be embarrassed if you don't have trouble today. But someplace along your life, you're going to have trouble. It may be minor, but it, it could very well be really major type of trouble. In relationships, in physical things, and different things like that, you're going to have trouble. How will you handle it? How are you handling trouble this morning? And I believe that this passage in James James gives us three reasons why God brings trouble into our lives. Let's just mention these and I'll be done. Three reasons why God brings trouble into our lives. First of all, God brings trouble into our lives because God is more interested in your holiness than he is in your happiness. God is more interested in your holiness than he is in your happiness. Verse number two, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter... Various trials, various different kinds of troubles. Canada joy. Here's a verse pretty difficult to understand, let alone put into practice. You know, James is writing this uh, this this book to some fairly new Christians, and we learn from chapter five that they've really been going through it. I mean, their their bosses have not been uh, paying them the money. They weren't getting any money much anyway, probably. But even that was being withheld by the people in the upper social stratus there. They were only recently saved, perhaps, but right away, here comes this fantastic test. And James has the audacity to say, rejoice in that trouble. You know, the unsaved person doesn't have any idea what to do with this verse. Uh, They can't rejoice in trouble. They grit their teeth and try to get through it, maybe if they're really... uh, A mature person, they're trying to learn a lesson from the trouble that comes into their life. But this passage is not saying, just learn a lesson. It's not just saying, grit your teeth. This passage is saying, brothers, you're supposed to rejoice when these troubles come into your life. How can this be? How can it be that we're supposed to rejoice when troubles come into our life? And I think the answer is, we can rejoice when troubles come into our life if the goal of our life is holiness and we know that these troubles are going to take us to holiness. That's what James goes on and says in verse 3. The testing your faith produces endurance, endurance produces maturity, and so forth. So that when you see trouble come on the horizon, there is now an opportunity for you to make great progress toward endurance and towards maturity in your Christian life, where you can be used of the Lord in a great and wonderful way. I've tried to... Think of some sort of illustration, and uh, this is kind of a homemade illustration, so pardon. But uh, suppose uh, you want to go to, we'll say, Dallas, Texas, and you have a, a loved one in Dallas, Texas, and so you don't have any way to get there. You get out on the highway and you're hitchhiking, and along comes a motorcycle. It may be Doug Bookman driving, I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> along comes a motorcycle. And invites to go, and you, you want to go to Dallas. And so it starts off, and it may be a fairly uncomfortable ride. There may be some sleet and cold and all that, but there is a sense in which there is rejoicing because why? Because it's taking you to where you want to go. But if you're standing out on the road hitchhiking, and a bookman comes by, and you get on the motorcycle, you want to go to Dallas, Texas. But he makes a wrong turn and heads off for Fargo, North Dakota. Now, that wouldn't be impossible, by the way, for Doug to do that. But anyway, <laughs> here, you are, here you are driving along. The sleet comes, the rain comes. And this time, it doesn't make any sense to you. Because why? Because it's not taking you to your goal at all. It's not taking you where you want to be. So that's kind of the way we run our lives. You know, we're looking for this happiness. We we run over here and, you know, we try to grab a hold of happiness. And trouble comes and it doesn't make any sense to us. But if holiness is the goal of our life, if, if our goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to have him develop character in our life, then when trouble comes in our life, there's a sense in which we can rejoice. Because it will take us to where we want to be in our life and in our relationship with the Lord. Well, somebody says, isn't God interested in our happiness? I think absolutely yes. But I think God knows, and hopefully we can know, that real happiness, real joy comes when... There is an intertwining of faith and trust in the Lord. And as our relationship begins to develop and become what God wants it to be, a relationship with him. As we grow in the Lord, then real joy comes into our life. And so God is more interested in your holiness than he is in your happiness. Then there's a second principle here. Why does God send trouble in our life? He He wants to produce endurance, not only holiness, but endurance. Let me set the principle up like this. Uh, A trial rightly met will bring endurance, but a trial wrongly met will bring a temptation to sin or instability. A trial rightly met will bring endurance. A trial wrongly met will bring a temptation to sin or instability. Verse number three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, the word testing here in this verse, or maybe translated trying, whatever it translates out there, has the idea of the passing of the test. Uh, It has a kind of a positive connotation to it. In fact, you might even be able to translate it the approving of your faith. It's as though God comes along and he sets up this test and he, he stamps, as you pass this test, approved. This is approved faith. Here is somebody that has genuine faith in their life. That's a positive connotation. You see, God brings troubles in their life not to try to get you to fail, not to try to get you to sin or anything like that at all. But these troubles and trials that come into our life are there in order to give you an opportunity to show your faith to be genuine, to show your faith to be maturing. God wants you to pass that test. I think it's a little bit like teachers. You know, good teachers. Why did good teachers give you tests? Believe it or not, it's it's not to try to make you to fail. Good teachers give you tests in order to give you an opportunity to show what you've learned. And that's the way God works with us. He gives us and brings tests in our life in order to give us opportunity to show that our faith is genuine. I remember uh, hearing the story one time of a uh, large, huge railroad bridge that was built back in the Old West, back in the last century. The... uh, the chasm was wide, and whenever the bridge was finally built, nobody wanted to ride across it. They were afraid. it looked too spindly, too weak from where they were standing, looking way up at the bridge. And so the railroad company, realizing they had to do something, uh, decided to have a kind of a special day there to demonstrate. And so they brought all the people in the territory that they could out there, and they also brought newspaper people and while everybody was watching there was two locomotives with train cars fully loaded behind them came from opposite directions very slowly out across the bridge until they met right in the center and just sat right on the bridge what was the purpose of that test was it to make sure that the bridge would or wouldn't fall down no Everybody knew, the engineers knew, the railroad company knew it wouldn't fall down. The purpose of this demonstration was just that. It was to demonstrate that here was a bridge that could take it. To be able to stamp approved over that bridge. And that's why God brings tests into our lives. It's not to get us to fail. It's to give us an opportunity to demonstrate Glory to God, to demonstrate quality faith, to demonstrate endurance in our life. There's a passage in Scripture where people fail. You know, it's not exactly the same, but I was thinking like, for example, of the Garden of Eden. Why were the trees there in the Garden of Eden? Was it to make Adam and Eve sin? No, I don't think so, was it? Those trees were there because God wanted Adam and Eve to pass the test and turn their holy nature into holy character and be confirmed in righteousness God had a, a positive view in mind but here's the thing, here's the test and what happened, Satan came along and turned that test into a temptation and Adam and Eve sinned and turned the whole human race into depravity and sin and disaster their trial wrongly met Brings a temptation to sin or instability. In fact, in verse number, let's see, verse 6, uh, James talks about the unstable man. What's he like? He's like a, a wave of the sea that's tossed to and fro. He doesn't handle testings, he doesn't handle temptations right at all. And he just becomes unstable. He just floats around life. No purpose or Goals or anything like that at all. It's possible to fail these tests, turn into a temptation of sin or instability. There's lots of verses, lots of passages in Scripture, though, where we have people that are passing the test. One of the great great passages on that, I think, that's a passage that's been a blessing to me in more than one occasion, is Abraham. Abraham, as he was asked by God to take his son and sacrifice him. That's a test. That's a trial. That's trouble. Maybe Sarah came to Abraham and said, Abraham, isn't there anything that God would ask you to do that you won't do? And Abraham must have said, no, God's asked me to do this, and I'm going to do it. And off he went. You know the story. God kept him from sacrificing Isaac. But as we come to the end of that chapter, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, now I know that you fear me. Abraham, your faith is stamped, approved, genuine. You're doing something. You can do something for me. Now, Not that Abraham lived a perfect life after that, he didn't. But here was a demonstration of genuine faith in his life. A trial, rightly met, brings endurance. But a trial wrongly meant brings a temptation to sin. And then finally, the third principle that we find in this passage God brings trouble in our lives to mature us. Let me set up the principle like this God brings trouble into our life to mature us not to move us. God brings trouble into our lives, into your life to mature you, not to move you. Verse number four. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is is he saying? He's saying, don't run away from the trouble. Let it have its perfect work in you. You run away from the trouble, you remove that opportunity that God has to mature you and develop some backbone and character in you. Let patience, let endurance have its Perfect work in you. Now you know we have a. I think American Christians have a kind of a weird idea of how God leads in this in this regard. We kind of get the idea that if things aren't going well, then God must want us to do something different, go someplace else. Um, I can remember, whenever I was teaching my first year, I graduated from seminary, and there was an opportunity to go and teach in a, in a Bible college nearby, and off I went. I, they didn't pay us much, and that was, that's an understatement of the century. Uh, I had a little place to live. Uh, my wife and I had a little place to live. Uh, we could eat in the dining hall, so we had a place to live, and we wouldn't starve to death. I think they paid us $3,500 a year, something like that. It was very low wages. That's a few years ago, but it still was very low wages. And uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child, so she couldn't work, and we just barely eat by. It was a struggle. I had some bills left over from seminary, and someplace in the middle of that year, I got the idea. This is a crazy idea, but I got the idea that if I was really doing what God wanted me to do, I wouldn't have to go through these kind of struggles. I wouldn't have to go through these kind of difficult strains that sort of ground grind away at you, you know, so when the Opportunity came to sign this new contract for the next year that next spring. I didn't do it I decided that I wasn't not in the Lord's will And then I began to look around for a youth pastorate and boy some youth pastors opened up that were really great I had an opportunity to go be a youth pastor in uh, Jacksonville, Florida a huge church had 200 high school kids in it already they invited me to come and be the youth pastor. And I remember as I was flying back from uh, Florida, back to Minnesota, sitting in the plane, I just sort of leaned back and I said, okay, I'm going to give this the old peace test. <laughs> I don't really recommend this, but uh, this is what I did. I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go to Florida. And when I said that, I just felt yucky all over Just uh, And I said, okay. I'm not going, I'm going back to Minnesota. And when I said that, I just felt great. It was like a burden lifted off of me. And I don't know, You know, there's a lot of avoidance, avoidance, and approach, approach there and all that, but something wasn't right about what I was doing. That's the point. It just wasn't right. And eventually, after more struggle, I signed the contract, went back, and the next fall, I began to take a course in James. And lo and behold, right off the bat, here we were with this principle. God sends trouble into our lives to mature us, not to move us. And uh, I don't know how to ruin my life, but I know that I came very close to blowing a biblical principle. God doesn't send trouble in our life to shoo us away. Well, we can imagine some situations of persecution and all that, but as a general rule, God does not send trouble in our life to get us to go away. He's trying to develop some character and some and some backbone in our lives. That's why that trouble comes in our life. I think pastors need to learn this. You know, sometimes, some circles, pastors only stay about two or three years. They come up with the first trouble, and they leave. Instead of taking the congregation through that, that uh, trouble and everybody maturing. Somebody says it's almost like after every, every two years or so, somebody blows a whistle, and this pastor says, I'll take your church, you take my church. I'll take your church, you take my church. And the people and the pastors suffer because they don't have the opportunity to really go through that trouble and and develop some character. That happens to students. Students sometimes come in the fall and they're all fired up and they're all excited about the opportunity to be in a Christian college, but, you know, things don't always go so good as time goes along. They don't get those good grades they thought they were going to get their finances look really poor and they begin to say maybe their boyfriend and girlfriend breaks up with them and they begin to say yeah you know God I, I must be able to will God well, it couldn't possibly be a God wants me to go through these kind of difficulties well the answer is yeah God does God wants you to go through those things God wants you to develop character and backbone and become what he wants you to be for him I can remember if you don't mind, one more personal illustration, and I'll be done. I can remember after I had taught it in college for four years, I believe it was, I had the opportunity to go do the doctoral program. And so I went off. Again, I didn't have much money at all. I had enough money to get down there, probably put, enough, put the, pay the first month's rent on some sort of a house or, or apartment. I'd buy some food for the first week, And that's what we did. We had that much money. By the way, the the reason I was able to do this was because uh, Dr. Potter's father-in-law gave me summer work that summer, which enabled me to have enough money to get down to Texas. So as we got we got down there, uh, we began to, you know, I just I had to get a job quick. Began to run out of money, and that meant, you know, you didn't have any money. Some people say when they run out of money, it means they have to get in their savings account. But uh, we didn't have any savings account. We, you know, we'd have to think seriously about whether we are going to have food or not. And my uh, parents, I'm sure, wouldn't have let us uh, starve to death, but it was serious. I had to have a job that I could work uh, a few days a week and make a lot of money or else work on the, or, uh, study a little bit on the job. I had that kind of a job if I was going to do any kind of study at all. So I went down to the truck docks, and they said, "Yes, uh, why don't you come tonight? Consolidated Freightways, come tonight. And uh, if you do well and we like you, then uh, we'll, you can keep coming. and We'll call you back." It was going to be a, a what they call casual job. Some of you guys probably have done it. You know, you come in whenever there whenever there are lots of trailers. You don't come every day, but when there are lots of trailers to unload or load, you come, do the work, and you, you help the regular guys. But they said it. It's not real busy right now, so it may be a little while before we call you back. So I went that night. They liked me just fine. They said, "Yeah, we'll call you." It's a little, not, a little slow right now. Maybe a few days. So a few more days went by. We were running out of food. What, was, what should I do? And uh, I got the flu, stomach flu. And I got over it, and then I got it again. And I was lying on a couch in our house, sick, and the phone rang and said would you like to come to work tonight and I swallowed hard and said yeah I'll be there and so I got up it was late summer it was probably 110 or so there in Dallas pretty humid and I went up worked that second shift that night and boy I was sick I tell you I was so sick I can't even tell you how sick I was I was just sick and I worked and sweat and did everything I could you know if I they would pay you right away. You could bring 50 bucks home. You could go, I could go buy food the next day. So I, I worked through that evening, and I went home that night and sort of slinked in the bed. It was about 1 in the morning, and it was almost as though the devil came to me and said, Pettigrew, what are you doing here? Don't you know that God's work always goes first class? You can't possibly be in the will of God. You must be out of it, pack your bags, and go someplace else. But i would learned a lesson already. I remember the principle from the Word of God. And the principle goes like this. God sends trouble into your life to mature you and not to move you. Young know, people, I, I'm still learning that. I think God sends these little things along all the time. Just kind of make sure you've learned this lesson. I don't care what kind of vocation or ministry you're going to have, if it's in the pastorate or mission field or home ec or business or whatever it is, if you're going to amount to anything for God, you've got to handle trouble right. You've got to follow these principles. God's more interested in your holiness than He is in your happiness. And when those troubles come into your life, a trial rightly met will bring endurance, but a trial wrongly met will bring a temptation of sin or instability. And then you you remember that God sends trouble into our life to mature us and not to move us. We follow these principles. I think we can become useful, mature servants of the Lord.